Hi, I'm Dr. Akiva Down. And I'm Rabbi Avi Green. And welcome to Interesting Questions. In this podcast, we'll be addressing issues that are philosophical, religious, and psychological in nature, and exploring some of the deeper questions as we go into Season 2. We will be focusing on that which is considered to be controversial, and there may not be a right or wrong answer. So we are hoping that our discussions will yield more questions for your Shabbos table. Hello and welcome to Interesting Questions. We're up to our third Mishnah of Pirkei Avot, which says, Antignus ish Soho, Antignus, the person from Soho, Kibel mi Shimon HaTzadik, received the tradition from Shimon HaTzadik, who Haya Omer, he used to say, Al tihiyu ka'avadim hamishamshin et harav amenat lekabel pras, do not be like the servants who serve the master in order to receive a reward. But rather be like the servants who serve the master without any hope of receiving a reward. And the fear of heaven should be upon you. So Akiva, you want to introduce our question that's connected to this? Sure. So, Avi, I think basically what our big question with this comes is, are we, are we doing things just for the sake of, I'm supposed to do this and I hope I get a reward for doing this? Or is it that we do things because they're the right things to do? And I would take it a step further to say, does it really matter? what the intention is, as long as ultimately you're doing what you should be doing. So in addition to this Mishnah, the Gemara presents the idea of doing something in the following manner. And I'll say it in Hebrew and then I'll explain. Shelolishma balishma. That when you do something not for the sake of doing it, you might yet come to the concept of doing it just for the sake of doing it. And I think it's referring primarily to the idea of mitzvot, um, and we use it often when we talk about raising children, the idea that you know, when we're going to encourage our children to do something, we'll often give them a little reward, we'll often give them uh, you know, something that sweetens the deal, sweetens the pot a bit, um, and and that encourages them to do it because we're trying to build certain muscle memory or certain skills um, or certain proficiencies. And the psychological realm, we call that Pavlov-ing them. Yeah, it, it, some of it's Pavlov, but some of it is also if you're trying to build certain skills, they aren't always necessarily physical skills. So you may be having them, or one may be having them read a certain part of a prayer. Um, and then the next time it's a different part of a prayer. And what you're really working on is the idea of both familiarity with those prayers and also practicing their Hebrew reading in in, in uh, rabbinic Hebrew or in, in Sidur Hebrew. Um, 
And so it's not quite the same as Pavlovian, at least the way I Well, I, I was talking it. about the, for example, when um, I, I had the pleasure of witnessing a wonderful, what I presume to be a Chabad custom, at an um, upshurn, where they give the child a... A, a placemat that has the olive bed on it and they put honey on each letter and the child gets to lick the honey from the letters as they're running their fingers over them to kind of associate that lear- the idea is learning Torah should be sweet. So yes, that is a, an, a very old traditional custom. Um, I believe Rashi even talks about it. I was thinking of... St- children, students who are a little bit older, um, where you're trying to actually reinforce skills or, or uh, behaviors that you want. I think the behaviors are more Pavlovian. I think the skills are a bit more educational. Absolutely. It's more of uh, the second being killing two birds with one stone. Sure. And so to that end... Um, Akiva, maybe you want to talk a little bit about the idea of reward and how uh, how much reward one should give, when is it appropriate, when is it inappropriate, um, what kind of rewards maybe are, uh, are motivational. Absolutely. So we, we have different ways that we learn, as, as you mentioned, and there there's a couple of different ways that we learn through the reward process. And I'm talking about positive rewards, uh, positive reinforcement. And we have the, an act that is positive always receives a positive re, uh, reaction. And what that does is that leads to a quick acquisition. However, it also tends to lead to a quick uh, degradation if you stop giving that reward, right? So a perfect example would be you pay your child uh, $5 or perhaps with inflation maybe more now for getting an A and if they um, at some point you kind of perhaps think, well, my child is succeeding. I don't need to give them any money for their A's anymore and all of a sudden we notice a uh, precipitous drop in the grades. So that's one method. Another method is um, to basically incentivize, but inconsistently incentivize. Right. So, so, so the in between, of course, is uh, I'll start with the in between because that's just the way it goes in order. After X number of some things, then you get. So every, if for five days in a row, you, uh, a child doesn't have a tantrum, they get some kind of prize. Uh, and this is often used in behavioral charts, star charts, what have you, uh, to change behaviors. It's also effective. Um, again, it might be a little bit harder to acquire. It theoretically has a little bit more sustainability as those rewards get farther and harder to achieve. Uh, And then we have the uh, kind of random uh, rewarding. And this, quite frankly, is how gambling works, right? You don't always know when you're going to get a reward, 
But when you get a reward, you get a reward and you don't know when it's going to happen. So you always try and do it. And we see the slot machines gambling. This, this is how they work. This is so clearly this is for some people, not necessarily fast to acquire. However, it's very sustainable. Again, why we see so many people who struggle with gambling because they keep thinking, well, maybe this time will be the time I win. This will be the big jackpot. So in that method, again, it's very sustainable. And we do have therapeutic techniques that work through this model. One of them is, this is a model known as contingency management, which basically utilizes the idea of providing negative urine drug screens and getting a reward from that. Uh, this is, and, and again, this is a situation where we see the studies show that someone can, for example, get their name written on a ticket for every time they produce a cocaine negative urine. And the more times you get your name on the ticket, the more chances you have to win. And they can, it doesn't have to be a big reward. You can draw a reward and it can be a $5 gift certificate to uh, a restaurant. And that's enough to get people to feel like it's worth doing the act. Um, and that actually brings us to our next challenge where we talk about how the reward needs to be reasonable. Um, right, so in, in scientific studies, part of the concern is that we can give rewards, we can compensate people for their time and their involvement in the study, but it cannot be so overly compensatory that... Um, we may risk coercing them into engaging in the study. So, you know, I, I mentioned about the $5 reward for um, contingency management. That works in some populations. In other populations, say, groups of CEOs who struggle with cocaine use, they could generally care less about a $5 gift certificate. However, we can't necessarily give them the kind of reward that they would consider it to be worthwhile. So let's move out of the realm of CEOs and let's talk about our own children for a minute, right? And assume that we're not bound by anything except our own moral obligation and our own pocketbooks. Two questions. One, is there a... Are there items or a method that you would recommend for, um, for positive reinforcement? Things like uh, affection, showing affection could be one option, a uh, piece of candy, um, money, right? Are there some that are recommended and, or perhaps some that are not recommended? Um, and the other question is, is there such a thing as going too big? In other words, if somebody says, you know what, if you come home with an A, I will give you a million dollars. Is that too big, or is the student, or, or is the child going to to go? Well, he's only saying that because. Sure. So, you know, I think that in in general there are things that we recommend more and things that we recommend less. So, from a just a physical health standpoint, candy is one of those things that, or sweets in general, that 
really we try and and minimize. That being said, I will say that the idea of giving out candy and shul, right, which unfortunately took a little bit of a downturn at the at the start of COVID, um, I think that that's something that is not necessarily a terrible thing. There's never anybody giving out so much candy that we're seeing an obesity crisis because there's candy being given out at Shul. Uh, that being said, I do think that having the opportunity to associate, again, Shul with sweet and exciting and people who are happy to be there, people who get candy, people who give candy, there are so many positives that I don't think that this can fall into that category of being blamed for the uh, obesity crisis. In that same vein, I do think that if we're talking about something at home, um, as far as affection goes, I, I certainly wouldn't recommend withholding affection for someone who is not having the behaviors that we hoped. However, it can be stepped affection, right? So perhaps we encourage through positive, so everybody gets a base level of affection, everybody gets love and support and encouragement, and if we have an opportunity to uh, increase the joy and jovial excitement and, and pride that we feel when we accomplish something, um, as long as it's done in a way that builds up and doesn't break down. So, for example, I'm thinking if you have, you know, two children, let's say, let's say they're twins for the sake of, sake of you know, we, we like twin studies. Um, you have one twin who is doing well in a class, you don't want to say, see, why can't you be more like your brother to the other one? Uh, instead, we, we may just simply be very proud and be excited and, you know, encourage and say, everybody's going to celebrate and uh, more success means more celebration. And I think as, as a child is younger or if there's a child who's struggling, I think that building up even seemingly small things is very important. If your child is struggling with reading, you want to build up the reading, and it doesn't matter how little the accomplishment is, reading is reading, and reading gets uh, encouraged. That being said, as they get older, again, we do want to perhaps pull back slightly on, on the level of, you know, we're not... A perfect example, I think, of Billy Madison, uh, you know, the Adam Sandler movie. We don't, we don't have a party when we graduate... Uh, kindergarten if we're 17. Um, that being said, we do have a party when our kindergartner graduates kindergarten because we get excited about that and we want them to see that so they continue to have that positive. Um, so I do think that, again, it should be stepped and it should be uh, to build up, not ever to break down. Um, there are people who do learn through positive and negative reinforcement, and I think you have to look and see what your child tends to respond to. Uh, many times we tend to err, I think, unfortunately, more towards the negative reinforcement because that's just what many of us learn. And so seeing if that is not a working pattern for you, which for many people negative reinforcement does not work, uh, you may want to try and have a more balanced approach or even a, an unbalanced approach with more emphasis on positive reinforcement. It, it may be the piece that changes what you're looking to change. Uh, and then again, as far as you know, really big rewards for something small, 
if it's not appropriate, and I think you kind of uh, you you express some hyperbole in in your "I'll give you a million dollars for an A." At the same time, yeah, it it does need to be uh, balanced. The you know the the sixteen year old, perhaps for passing their 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 driving test, doesn't need a brand new any kind of vehicle. Take your pick. I don't care if it's a Kia, a BMW, or uh, a Subaru. They probably don't need a brand new. And they, if if you have the means to provide something or to help them, you know, sometimes earning something is believed to be important. So, whereas, yeah, fine, we, we earned, we passed our driving test at the same time. Well, at least to drive in Florida, it doesn't seem to take a lot of effort. So, perhaps we want to increase the earning by saying I will help you and thus not only as you mentioned before where we double dip and we learn two things so not only have we learned to achieve but we have also gained mastery of working for something and having the pride in that something and taking care of that something which is also wonderful Um, so there's a lot of ways where we can use the ways that we learn and the learning styles and techniques to really build upon each other and increase the growth of the value. When I was in education school, um, two of the ways that were strongly recommended for us to interact with our students, one was authentic, positive comments, right? So in other words, if you're going to give a compliment, make sure it's really authentic. Um, And the other one, interestingly enough, which is probably a I'm going to say it in the way they explained it to us in in education school, but we've become much more cognizant of how this plays out, is physical touch, Um, because it's another thing that people appreciate. Um, These days, that's usually safest in something like a high five. Um, So I want to move on to the next piece, Akiva. I want to talk about the idea of doing something with no expectation of reward. And I think when we, when we talk about this, we may be talking about slightly older learners. Um, we're talking about people who have a certain level of self-motivation and a certain level of self-determination and the ability to hold off on either reward or rewarding themselves, or they may even find that the activity itself is rewarding without needing external reinforcement. And I'm hoping you might be able to talk about how does one get to that point or what does that look like when someone is focused on or satisfied with the, the activity they're engaged in. Right? Sometimes it's called flow, sometimes it's, it's, um, it, it's sway. What, what is it that gets us there? Passion. I think passion is a big part of it. As you're describing this, I'm, I'm reminded of a Judaic teacher I had who had at least, I believe two distinct PhDs and I believe at least three master's degrees. Uh, Not because she needed them, simply because she loved to learn. And for her, 
getting those degrees, taking those courses, learning about those topics was the reward. And I think that, again, it's when you're passionate about something, whatever that is, at some point you're not doing it because there's a benefit. You know, there's, let's face it, there's plenty of educators out there who are certainly not doing it for the financial reward. Um, sad to say, but it is the truth. And so I think there's something where we, when we think about our most memorable teachers, professors, uh, rabbis, whoever educated us, uh, and there's a multitude of other groups that I have left out not to leave them out, but because it is a list that goes on ad nauseum, uh, is the fact of those were people who loved what they were doing. Um, and, and, you know, Avi, I'm going to kind of toss this back in your direction because I think one of the most tragic things that we see happens with educators is the very best educators we have, unfortunately, are oftentimes relegated to administration because they're really good at what they do and they get noticed and people want to utilize all of their different skills and yet they truly love being in the classroom um, I'm going to ask you to put on your educator hat and kind of talk about that a little bit because I think that is uh, something that I see gets in the way and that's really this this divisive balance between I have this opportunity for a financial reward versus the reward for the sake of I love doing this thing but it doesn't pay the bills. So it's true. I think a lot of teachers going to administration, not because they said, oh, I want to be in charge of attendance um, or any other reason, then, you know what, uh, if I go up the ranks, I can either fix some of the problems that I see as a teacher but have no control over, or and or um, there are some financial advantages connected to it, and I would love to have some of those in my own life because it's become, as, as uh, Simon Sinek puts, my get-rich-slow plan. And so this idea of, of moving upward and moving forward becomes the default um, for some of the very best educators. Uh, and there are a few schools and a few systems out there that are trying to say, no, let's keep our best educators in the classroom and we will find ways to pay them commensurate with their abilities, and therefore they will stay in that process. But otherwise, we're going to have to we're we're going to have to see them move into administration or move out of teaching, as we're seeing currently. Um, and so, yeah, I think that passion, and I think that most teachers are doing it for the sake of the students, and I think that does go back to what we talked about here, right, that it, they are, are mastering this, they're they, they serving the master, and in this case the master is their passion or their, their deep valued beliefs um, without any, any thought of reward. But I want to turn to the last part of Kiva. I want to turn to this idea because I think we've been talking a lot about reward or not reward. But then there's this third part, which is, 
and let the fear of heaven be upon you. Um, so talk to us about whether that correlates with the idea of, does it correlate with negative reinforcement or does it correlate with punishment? Is it something else altogether? What are your thoughts here? So I'd like to think that from, from the wisdom and just the wisdom that comes from those who put these thoughts into writing, um, I have to give them the benefit of saying that they were not simply talking about negative reinforcement, uh, which is what we think of when we think of fear of, uh, of, of heaven, right? That, that simple baseline fear of heaven, fear of negative, fear of retribution, fear of uh, punishment later on. I do have to believe that the more advanced idea behind this is reverence. It's reverence, it's respect, it's, it's understanding the, the importance and the value and realizing that, yes, I'm doing this because uh, I'm supposed to be doing it, because it's good for me, because it's good for others. And at the same time... Um, Right, thinking back to the relationship between a child and, and parents. Right? We have the child who does things because they're afraid of punishment from the parents. And then we have the child who does things because they have a respect and a desire to, to please the parent and to show the parent that uh, what they're doing feels good and they want to do that. They want to have that good feeling. And what I think we see is that those who have that last view um, oftentimes have the healthiest and most sustainable outcome um, when they have this respect and this reverence for their parents, this honoring of their parents. Uh, it becomes something where they're not just doing it for their parent at some point. They realize that they are doing it for themselves as well, and it feels good, and it feels positive. It develops that passion. It develops that desire, uh, and it really hardens and sustains that, that growth. And I think that's the biggest, the biggest piece, and probably what is ideally meant in the idea of uh, the uh, is not the fear, per se, but the idea of reverence. Here is your Shabbos table question for this week. In the book, The Five Love Languages by Gary Chapman, he talks about the different kinds of ways that people appreciate getting rewarded or being recognized. What is the way that you would most want to be rewarded and recognized? And how can you share that with somebody who can reward you and recognize you in the way that you'd want for the positive things that you're doing? Thank you for listening. If you'd like to reach us, you can reach us at iqdiscuss at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you and responding.